Jason, thank you so much. And thank you for your faithfulness and coming here to worship. I trust that your hearts are being blessed. We're at least closer together, aren't we? And uh, that's a wonderful thing. We welcome those who are listening on WHKP, and we welcome those who are watching us online as well. Um, then the traditional service will be alternating choir and orchestra. This week is the choir week. Next week is the orchestra week, and we'll be blessed by the good music that we have here. I'm excited because, wow, Wednesday night was incredible. We may have fed more than we've ever fed on a Wednesday night meal. We have a lot of young families. In fact, our Awana is exploding. We have a lot of good workers that are working in Awana, and so I'm grateful for that. We've, a lot of Bible studies started this last week, Tuesday morning women's groups. We have Wednesday night Bible studies as well as the pastor's one. If you love the Bible, this is a great place to be. So we encourage you to dig in. And we're going to do that on Sunday mornings. We're studying the book of Acts. Today we're in chapter 19, and we'll look at verse 8 in just a moment. But first, let's do what we do every week. Let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16, then join with Christians and all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. Let's do that now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering, watch this, the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. i got to talk a little bit about that before we go any further. Uh, Paul was a, what we would call a bivocational missionary. Nobody, there was no board paying him a salary. The only way that he ate, the only way that he took care of his needs was to spend eight hours a day making tents. Now, this part of the world is very hot, so the way that people did work in this province of Asia, which is Turkey today, it was they would work in the early morning hours, quit about 11, go until mid-afternoon, and then pick up work and go into the early evening. So you would take maybe four hours off in the middle of the day. So what he did was he worked making tents, sweating in that kind of environment, and then he would go and spend time in the, in the school where he was discipling those that were coming to know Christ, and then he'd go back to work. Well, what were these cloths and these aprons? Well, folks, if you're working in that kind of heat, that people would keep rags around to be their sweat cloths. So as, as he was working in the heat with sweat, he would wipe it off and put it down. And, and then you kept an apron over you because that kept you getting your clothes dirty while you worked because he was going to, in the middle of the day, pop up from his workplace and go teach for several hours and tell people about Jesus, 
and then go back to work. So the claws were sweat claws and the aprons were coverings to keep his clothes clean. So what was happening is when he would discard a sweat cloth, somebody would get it and start passing it around. And God somehow did miracles uh, uh, because this sweat cloth would touch people. So here's the question on the floor at this point in the sermon. Does that mean that we should be having prayer claws and giving those out the way some preachers on TV to do, to do today? Well, let me give you some thoughts before I say emphatically no. <laughs> First of all, the scripture makes it clear it was not the cloth that brought the healing. It was God. Now keep this up for a little while, brother. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. It was God who was doing the miracle, not the cloth that was doing the miracle. But did you notice also, it says that these were extraordinary miracles. This wasn't ordinary. This wasn't something we should be expect to be going on for 20 centuries. This was extraordinary miracles. And can I chase another little rabbit under this one? I know that there are preachers like Benny Hinn who say that we're in the day of miracles just like it was in the first century. I disagree. I've never seen Benny Hinn walk into a hospital and clear it out and make everybody well. And yet Paul was used by God to heal everybody on the island of Malta that was sick. We don't see the numbers and the level of miracle in our day that we did in the first century. But here's a clue from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Paul's defending the fact that he's an apostle here. People have said, you're not one of the twelve, you're not an apostle, even though Jesus had personally recruited him on the Damascus road. He said, the signs of an apostle were performed with unfailing endurance among you, including signs and wonders and miracles. Basically what he said was this, that one of the ways that God backed up, gave credentials to those who were truly apostles in that first century was they were able to do at an extraordinary level signs and wonders. Does that mean that God does not heal anymore? Of course He does. Of course God answers prayer. But, but the level of miracles that we're seeing today does not match what we see in the book of Acts. And the reason is, is when the last apostle died, you would expect that that number and level of miracles would, would, would drop dramatically. Because these were extraordinary miracles, not normal works of God. So, let me give you what one preacher says. I won't tell you his name. It begins with Rod and ends with Parsley. Um, but this is what he said on an advertisement on the internet. I hold in my hands the key to your physical healing, financial breakthrough, a loved one's salvation, and supernatural blessing. I'm holding a prayer cloth. Click here and request yours now, and I'll send it to you saturated with the Holy Spirit for your miracle. My advice is, don't click. I don't believe that's how we're to be operating today. And I'm suspicious of those who are doing that. Well, let me read on, because we've got some more interesting things in this chapter. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying... I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Siva, a, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered, well, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all and prevailed against them. So they ran out of the house naked of your southerner. He's naked and wounded. 
When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had been become believers became, came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. Now, there were two things that this city of Ephesus were known for. It was the most important city in the province of Asia. But it was known, and next week we'll see, that it was known for one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Diana, if you use Latin, Artemis, if you use Greek. So they were known for their worship of Artemis. But it was also known all across the Roman Empire to be the headquarters, the center of occult activity. Now, when I talked to you about Corinth, I mentioned that Corinth was the Bourbon Street of the Roman Empire. It was the lowest place morally. In fact, they took the name Corinth and they turned it into a verb. To Corinthianize meant you were living as low morally as you could live. Well, they actually took the name Ephesus and used it as a descriptive term. There was a term called Ephesian writings. And what they were is the people in Ephesus would write down their spells. And then they would put power, they said, on the pages of these spells, of these books that were containing the spells. And the writings were called Ephesian writings. We've actually, in our archaeology, uncovered some of these books of Ephesian writings. So this was a place saturated in the occult. Um, unfortunately, folks, I think there's an application for us today. Because we are now three and four generations of people who've been raised outside the church. And I've been reading that the statistics, especially among the millennials and below, show that that group of folk are throwing themselves into the occult, into magic, into those kind of practices. If you, if you take God out, there is a spiritual vacuum, and that's what's happening. And to show you how this is so radically increasing, let me give you one statistic. If you hear the term Wiccan, that is the official name for the religion of those who call themselves witches and warlocks, w Wiccan. In the year 2000, Wiccans had 8,000 registered members. In the year 2020, Wiccans in the United States had 2 million members. Now, folks, the Presbyterian Church USA has 1.1 million people. There's almost two Wiccans for every Presbyterian. So we're seeing this intense opening the door. Now, let me explain something. God does not want you to open the door in these activities. Deuteronomy 18 lays it out clearly. You don't do tarot cards. You don't do Ouija boards. You don't go to fortune tellers because these are door opening activities to demonic power, to demonic possession in your life. Uh, evidently, Paul had to do a lot of spiritual warfare in the city of Ephesus because if you take the letter that he wrote to them in Ephesians 6, you have the longest section on spiritual warfare in the entire New Testament because he was dealing constantly with warfare with the devil. But let me give you one more thought before I leave this introduction and get to the sermon. Uh, the Bible warns us that Satan is real. We need to be on the alert. 1 Peter 5 says, be wary, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. 
Now, I've never seen a lion out free roaming. I, I, I went to Africa, and we drove five hours through the boonies across Africa. I saw giraffes. I saw zebras, and I saw monkeys constantly while I was in Africa, out free, just, just roaming around. But thank God I never saw a lion <laughs> that was out free. The only times I've seen lions are places like Atlanta Zoo where they're behind a wall or a cage. Well, this is what I believe about the devil. The devil is a dangerous adversary, but in the sovereignty of God, I believe the Lord has put boundaries around the devil, that you don't have to walk in fear of him. But here's the deal, Christian. Yes, Satan is a caged lion, but don't get in the cage. And when you get involved in occult activities, you're getting in the cage, and it'll end up bad. And so we've got to do that. Well, that's the introduction. Let me get to the sermon. I've got three points for you today. Point number one, Christianity is both the way to heaven and a way of life. Christianity is both the way to heaven and a way of life. You see in front of you, Acts 19, 9. And when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way. It's interesting, six times in the book of Acts, Christianity is called the way. Most likely, the name that Christians gave themselves was the way. Are you a member of the way? Now, I, I can easily see why that would become a name when you think of a great verse like John 14, 6. Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can see why you would say, I am the way. And folks, there's only one way to heaven uh, through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Uh, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, crying out to his Father, he said, Father, if there's any other way, don't make me drink this cup. And he was met with silence because there's no other way except the fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And so when you put your faith in him, whosoever believeth in him, you will not perish. You'll have everlasting life. So Jesus is the way to heaven. But he's meant to be more than just the way to heaven. He's also meant to be the way for us to have the best life here. Because I love this. When you read the Gospels, you'll see this. One of his favorite terms was, follow me. Follow me. So I keep my eyes on Jesus and I follow him. And when I follow Jesus, not only I've got heaven waiting on me, but then I get to experience what he wants for me in this life. Um, Bill Bright one time went to Africa, and he was supposed to preach in a village that was a little bit farther remote out. And so he was staying, and he couldn't leave because he didn't know how to get there. So he sent word to those Christians. He said, give me directions. So they said, we'll send someone. When he got there, a man showed up from the village. And he said, have you got the directions to get to the village? He said, I am the directions. Follow me. And so all Bill had to do was just watch him, get right behind him and walk with him. And that's what we're to do, keep our eyes on Jesus. If you want the life that's the blessed life, the best life, you follow Jesus. What, what will you end up with? John 10.10. 10. I love this. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. If you'll just look around. You look at the world right now and what it's selling. And the people follow that. It's not going to end up with what you're longing for in your soul. But I'll tell you this, if you'll look around and find the people that have been following Jesus, 
living their life by what he's taught us, keeping their eyes on him, you're going to find that they have the best lives, the best homes, because that's what God wants for us. So it's called the way, because Jesus is the way to heaven, but he's also the the one that we follow. He's the, the best way to live. Secondly, Christianity is not a set of formulas to be used, but a relationship with God. Christianity is not a set of formulas to be used, but a relationship with God. Now, do you remember what happened in this story? Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Now, they've been watching in Paul in this occult center where so many people were conquered and captured by the control of the demonic. Paul had been using the name of Jesus and seeing them set free. They said, I'm going to try that. It must be a magic formula, another Ephesian writing. I'm going to use this formula. In the name of Jesus that Paul speaks, get away, come out. And they, they got whooped by him, I'm telling you. They got beat up. It didn't turn out well. Folks, let me share my heart with you. So much of what I see, especially on TBN and places like that, I'm hearing a Christianity that they're presenting that to me appears to me more akin to magic than it does to true Christianity. Uh, can I give you some examples? Three steps to your healing. Do these three things and God has to heal you. Four steps to your financial prosperity. You will have everything your heart's ever desired. God will give you favor. Take these four steps. This has to happen. God has to do that. Folks, there are no magic formulas where you make God do something. That's not Christianity. We're in a relationship with the Lord. We go to Him with our hearts and say, Father, I come to you because you're my Father. I know you love me. This is what I think I need. I, I ask you for this, but I trust that you alone are wise. And so that's what we do. We, we don't order God around with formulas. We go to Him and give Him our heart, give Him our request. I will tell you about an embarrassing incident that happened in my life. When I was in Loganville, Georgia, there was a town about 10 miles away that didn't have a good strong church. So we decided to start a church down there and we spent a year collecting a core of people and meeting in a home. And finally, we felt like that's strong enough now. We're ready to launch a real church. And the Georgia Baptist Convention came and helped our little church. They bought a good bit of land right on the main highway that led into right, right, as, right outside of where the main town was. And then they put a double-wide trailer for us to have our first services in. But I said, let's do something big. So I got the biggest tent I could find, got an evangelist in. I said to my church, I said, we're going to go down there and join with that core. And to launch this first public meetings of this church, we're going to have a tent revival and invite the town to come. And we're going to have two, 300 people out there. And, and that, that'll just be so enticing to them. And so I told my men, I said, after church this next Sunday, come join me. We're going to put up this tent. So after church was over, we went down there and started setting that big tent up. Now, you've got to understand, this was just, just land. It had not been graded. It had, we didn't have any gravel out. People were just going to have to park on, on dirt. And uh, as we were putting it out, and you can't see this in the mountains, but you can in Georgia. There was a bank of clouds when those dark, dark bank, you can see them. And it was coming our way, and I knew this is a gully washer coming. This will be a disaster. So I turned to my men. I said, men, will you join your pastor? 
We're going to stand up right now and take authority over that storm. We're going to take the name of Jesus and command that storm that it has to go a different direction. And I'm telling you what, I could have been on TBN at that moment. I mean, I was, I was shouting at that storm and telling it in the name of Jesus it had to go. I mean, it was, it was extraordinary. We got there that night. We had one of the biggest gully washers in history. It was so bad that I had to have deacons keep going to the tent and you know, pushing at the top so it wouldn't collapse because all the water was collecting on it. Cars got stuck in the mud. And I'll be honest with you, I was mad at God. I, I, I told God that night, God, you embarrassed me in front of my men. <laughs> how, how, how can you do that? And, and, but you know what happened? People were driving by in the rain looking at those nuts, 200 people under the tent. And so all over town the next day they said, what in the world's going on there that people go out in that kind of rain to go see it? And so what God did in His sovereignty was send a word out. There's something we're seeing. And, and we had a much better week because of that testimony in the rain. God knew more than me. Folks, you and I are not wise enough to be given the power to have formulas that will work. We have to trust God. Justin is preaching the same sermon across the way. And he's, his story at this point, he's going to talk about his, one of his favorite hymns was written by the great theologian Garth Brooks entitled, <laughs> I Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. Because he literally prayed that God would let him marry a girlfriend that he was madly in love with and she broke his heart. But God knew better and he brought Sarah into his life. Second, this third truth is this. Following Jesus involves both leaving the past and bonding to Christ. Now, notice I said following Jesus. I'm not talking about the way to heaven. The way to heaven is simply by faith. But if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I've got to both leave the past and bond to Christ. So let me explain why I picked those words. The CSB translates the foundational verse of marriage, Genesis 2.24, this way. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. And King James is leave and cleave. And I think there's something in the Christian life that says, if I'm going to join myself to Christ, I'm going to by necessity be turning my back on some things. So I remember 1977 when I got married. As I was walking down that aisle toward that beautiful girl, I wasn't sitting there thinking, Scoggins, you're giving up a lot of women for this. <laughs> I was sitting here saying, how amazing that she would let me be her husband. I had my eye focused on the woman that I loved, not on what I had to leave behind. It's leaving and bonding, leaving and bonding. You see that in Acts 19, verse 19. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone... So they calculated the value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Can I tell you how much 50,000 pieces of silver is? If a man worked for 160 straight years, that would have been his salary. I can just hear somebody say, shouldn't they have sold those books and given the poor? You don't play with things that are involved with the occult. You burn them. So they burned those books. They're saying, we're going with Jesus, and to go with Jesus, we need to burn this connection to the past. Uh, look with me at Romans 14, 13. Skip that one and go to Romans 14, 13. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There's the positive. I'm putting on Jesus. I'm so grateful. I have the Lord Jesus. But I've also got to burn my bridges to the past. When the Roman army crossed the British Channel to take Britannia, the first thing that the Roman general ordered was his troops to burn their boats. He said, men, we're not going back. We will conquer or we will die, but we're not going back. And I think there needs to come a serious time in our lives where we sit here and say, I want to follow Jesus. And by following Jesus, I may have to burn some bridges. In the days of the Old West, there was a man who had been a drunkard. And every Saturday he went into town, hitched his horse right in front of the hitching post in front of the saloon, go in and get drunk. Then he got saved. Still had to come in every Saturday to get his stuff and get his groceries and such. But what he, he did out of habit, he kept going to the same hitching post because he'd always hitched there. And then he would go do his errands, then he would come and get his horse, go back. But one day, because his hitching post was right in front of the saloon, he decided to walk back in. And when somebody asked him, how'd you fall? He said, because I didn't change hitching posts. I think there needs to come a time when we realize I've got to change some hitching posts. I had the privilege of leading my brother to Christ when he was in the eighth grade. That was junior high. And when I told this story to Justin, because we're working on these sermons together, he said, this is really dated. I can't believe that time. <laughs> but back in the day before internet pornography and, it's, and all the horrors we have now, somehow my brother was able to get a hold of Playboy magazines. And he got them and cut out each picture and went back to junior high and sold them for a dollar apiece. He was making some money. <laughs> I didn't even know how he got them. But, uh, well, I had the privilege of leading Tim to Christ. But in the back of my mind, I thought, is he doing this just because his big brother asked him to do that? A few days after he became a Christian, he said, would you come with me? And then he took me to his secret stash, which was under the box that held the vacuum cleaner. There's what, there were his playboys. And we took him out, went to the very back of the backyard with some matches, and he burned them up. I guess he is for real. I guess he is for real. Because following Jesus means I'm going to leave and cleave. I'm going to so bond myself to him, look at him, love him, that I'll put other things in the rear view mirror. Have you done that? I hope and pray that you put your faith in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But for your sake, I hope you'll go beyond that and follow him. Keep your eyes on him. Go his way. Don't go the world's way. Go his way and experience that life in abundance. Would you pray with me about that now? Oh, Father, would you just reach out to your people through your spirit and draw them close to you? I know you love everybody in this room. You have so many blessings ready to pour out on them. I I pray they'd experience it as they follow you. Make yourself known, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.